Hello, friends. It's Jim Nance, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the player swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, always appreciate it. And we've got Jim Nance's colleague, CBS Sports' Amanda Baliones, who you see on NFL sidelines. You see her interviewing some of the best PGA Tour players out there as well. Of course, we saw her with Dustin Johnson with the extremely emotional interview that we almost never see him crying. But there she was getting an awesome interview with him at the Masters. So what was that like? We're going to get into what she was thinking there and her thought process, which was just crucial, of course, in the big moment. If you're an interviewer, that's what you live for. So great to hear and see what Amanda was able to do there in that awesome interview with Dustin Johnson. Hope you guys, I'm sure everybody was surprised by that, but it was was a very, um, I don't know, satisfying interview to watch. DJ in a whole nother light. But yes, we get into her style as well with interviews, what her goal is, what she's trying to get out of that, and just the trust she has to build with these players. I mean, this is a long game out here on the PGA Tour, so she really has to continue that trust and not let her ego get in the way. She asks questions. She only has two. We're going to get to Amanda Balionis here in just a minute, but before that, my sponsor, Encore Golf, and Encore Golf has an awesome deal here for Black Friday. Their Avant Golf Balls, Avant 55, which is on the hot list for Golf Digest silver list from 2019. You're saving 20 bucks in this deal. You buy two dozen golf balls. You get one dozen for free, so a box essentially, right? The other deal here, buy two, get one free of the Elixir golf ball. That's on the gold hot list for Golf Digest for this year, 2020. You're saving 30 bucks if you go with that deal. Buy two and you get the third free. And then the other one, the Vero X one, I've been playing that one recently. Love that golf ball. You're saving $40. You buy two and get one dozen free as well. So very, very good deals here with Encore Golf. You can check them out at EncoreGolf.com. And then also they're all over Instagram, at Encore Golf. So check that out. Some great Black Friday deals. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Very good stuff there with Encore Golf. So now we're going to get to Amanda Balionis here from CBS Sports. I'm beyond the clubhouse. All right, my next guest here on Beyond the Clubhouse. I'm pleased to be joined by Amanda Balionis. Of course, you see and hear her on CBS Sports, sideline reporter. You, you see her with the golf coverage, covering the Masters, interviewing Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods. Seems like 24-7. Amanda, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> oh, good to see you. Uh, I'm good. Just gearing up for Thanksgiving and then right back into uh, NFL games this coming weekend. <laughs> so much going on, of course, with NFL. I have to ask you, because I know you are a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan. How <laughs> pumped up are you for this season? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's fun to see, and it's not often, if ever, uh, you get to watch your team go 10-0. and 0. Um, But, you know, it's it's funny. It's I was just reading, uh, I think Aditi from the NFL Network said, it, she was talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, and she said, you know, when they started off 2-0, he was really happy. And then 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, he's like 
he's uncontrollable with his excitement. Now, 10 and 0, everyone's kind of like, whoa, you better do something with this. Because if you go 10 and 0 and don't go to the Super Bowl or you don't do what's expected of you, now all of a sudden that was for nothing. So um, I think the pressure has started to build, but it's been really fun to watch them do these things. And honestly, watch Ben Roethlisberger at what we know is probably the end of his career uh, come out and and just play like the Big Ben that we've that we've known for so long. So it's it's been fun. Yes. Well, as you mentioned, their expectations creep in to how we view the rest of the season. You mentioned Big Ben. Um, have you ever had a chance to play golf with him? I know he plays a lot in Tahoe in that celebrity event, but have you ever uh, been on the course with him? I've never been able to play golf with him, but um, Bert Lawton, who is their head of PR, when I was at Callaway before, I, so I left the PGA Tour because I felt like I hit a dead end in my career. No, but I couldn't get an interview anywhere with anyone that covered golf for television. And I was like, you know what? I'm done killing myself with this crazy schedule. As you know, I mean, you cover these tournaments and you're missing every weekend, every holiday. Um, you know, there was a month over Thanksgiving where I'd be working the overnight shift. And you're just like, if, if I'm not hitting my goals, I'm, I think it's time to move on and try to have a normal life. So I took this job with Callaway, uh, working a nine to five Monday to Friday, which um, I was really terrible at, but it was a great, it was a great learning lesson in a lot of ways, but also it was, I think my life changing, uh, you know, career decision. But during that time, uh, that's when the U.S. Open was at Oakmont. And at Callaway allowed me, I forget if I was, I, I don't think they were intending on sending me for work, but I created a job there that they had to then send me, <laughs> which is kind of what I did the PGA Tour that drove, we were just talking about John Swanson, kind of drove him crazy. I'd always come up with concepts. I'd be like, well, now I have to go be there to go execute this. So uh, being from Pittsburgh, naturally, uh, being from Pittsburgh, I reached out to the head of PR, didn't know Bert at the time. Now we're very good friends. And I said, I have this thought that uh, we can get Jim Furyk, who was a Callaway player, to early in the week, go to Heinz Field. And if you could get Steeler players, you know, whoever you want, and I'm thinking it's going to be like, you know, a lineman or, a, you know, kind of like. Uh, a guy that we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, you know, I said, whoever you want to get, just bring them and we'll do a shoot of having these guys hit from fun areas on Heinz, you know, at Heinz Field. And what a great way to kick off US Open Week at Oakmont. He answers back and says, absolutely, Ben Roethlisberger would love to do this. And he's in. And I was like, holy crap, this just turned into like a joke shoot that got me to Pittsburgh. It's so, like a real freaking thing. Um, so that was the first time I met Ben. My parents were there. Uh, it was my 30th birthday weekend. So my parents flew in from Florida and I said to them, okay, you're allowed to come to the field, but you do not wear Steeler stuff. I'm working, right? You don't wear Steeler stuff. You don't ask for autographs. I said, you look and you be quiet and you don't embarrass me. And my, they're like, okay, deal. So they come in and I'm talking to Ben and he could not be nicer. And he looks over and he goes, who are those two people taking pictures with their phones? So I was like, it's my mom and dad. And he goes, what are their names? And I said, you know, Dana and Tony, they're, you know, they're from Pittsburgh. Uh, no one's a bigger Steeler fan, you know, than they are. And he said, Dana and Tony, come on over here. Would you mind if I took a picture with you? And I was like, come on, like that, that, he just didn't, he didn't have to do that. It was so, he just went out of his way to be so kind. And then of course my mom, because she's uncontrollable says, I did happen to bring this. And she had this tiny purse that was about this big and pulls out two terrible towels out of this tiny purse. 
<laughs> Ben's like, I'll go find a Sharpie autograph them for you. But I saw him, this is now, what, five years later, six years maybe, at the Cardinal Steelers game I was doing last season. Ben was obviously hurt. He was not playing, but he was traveling with the team. He walked out of a room, and I was in the other room, and he came right up to me and said, Amanda, great to see you. How are your parents doing? And, like, oh. you know, I, I just think in the, there are – he's clearly not the only athlete. He's gone through his stuff. Um, but I will say there are athletes that I think come in to any profession. They don't get it. They're given everything. They take advantage of it. And then they have kind of this, this aha moment and realize – the type of impact they can make on people. And then there, you know, then there are some who just aren't going to, you know, be that friendly and, and they don't have to be right. That's not their job to be that. But, um, you know, I, he was just a great reminder that like, man, don't judge a book by its cover. And like, I, he didn't have to be that guy. And he went out of his way to be that guy because he understands the impact he, he can have and how much it means to just remember the small things. Yes. Well, I love that story because so much of this comes from your initiative, Amanda, of course, to email the PR guy for the Steelers, have this creative idea. You had five internships in college. You yeah. were assertive even back then in college. So what is your advice to younger people in college or maybe early on in the journalism career? What can they be doing to really be assertive as you've done? I think do everything, right? I mean, I, I always look back at those internships and I was really just trying to figure out what I loved or, yeah, I was trying to figure out what I loved, but I think what really ended up coming from it is I figured out what I didn't want to do, which is really important. Um, I can't tell you how many of my friends today, they majored in, you know, hotel management or they majored in education and they all thought they wanted to be doing, you know, these, these very specific things they get out into the real world, they're like, this sucks. This is not for me. And now they're like kind of starting at ground zero again, having to recreate themselves, which sometimes that, that can be the best thing on the planet too. But I think if you know you want to get into journalism, you know, I majored in broadcast journalism. That's a really gutsy thing to do because you are kind of pigeonholing yourself into only a couple of career paths. So go do everything and figure out what you don't like. Like I interned for the Jets and I realized pretty quickly, I liked operations, but could I see myself doing operations for 20 years? No, absolutely not. I thought I wanted to be in, you know, I thought, well, maybe entertainment is for me because there's some crossover between sports and entertainment, especially what we've seen recently, right? With Erin Andrews, she goes from, you know, working at Fox to Dancing with the Stars, Carissa Thompson, uh, she works for an entertainment, was it E? I, I was uh, Entertainment Tonight, maybe, and yeah. obviously does her sports stuff. So, like, that crossover is very real. Um, and I interned for Us Weekly magazine, and I got one of my best friends out of that. But even she'll tell you, she's like, there was no one more disinterested in that internship after a week than me. Because I, you know, you spend hours Googling, like, when's the last time Brad Pitt showed his butt in a movie? Like, for an article that someone's writing, and you're just like, no, these aren't the things I think I want to be researching and talking about for the rest of my life um you know so then oh, and then I interned for ABC for their website and like was learning how to place you know video embed videos into the appropriate articles and stuff like that which is all very useful now if I could remember how to do it but I didn't love that either and it, it the only one I loved and I'm not a morning person I mean what time is it right now it's 
10.15, I'm chugging my second cup of coffee because it feels <laughs> very early for me. But I got the internship uh, with the morning show on CBS2, which was the, the local affiliate in New York. And I have never been more excited to get up at three o'clock in the morning to get into that office. And I didn't want to leave by the time it was 12 or one o'clock and everybody was telling me to go home. And that was my aha moment. So I think you got to find something that you will do for free and because listen, especially with journalism, if you want to be, you know, if you're an aspiring writer, broadcaster, you're not going to make a whole lot of money. And it's a whole lot of hours <laughs> that you're putting in. So you better love what you do because um, that burnout factor is real. Um, so I think if you can find that early on in your career, the thing that you would do for free just to be a part of it, um, you know, I, I think that's what you do. And again, just ask all of the questions and for all the opportunities, the, the worst thing that can happen is they say no, and you're the same exact spot that you were before you asked the question. So be assertive, annoy your bosses, be the squeaky wheel. Um, usually I would say more often than not, it pays off. Oh, that's great advice. And also too, when you said work for free or, or work for, for less than what you'd expect, if that's something I've done in my first master's, I covered for the China Daily, an English speaking Chinese paper on Tianlang Guan. I made $200 a story. I barely broke even for the week. But you know what? It was my ticket to my first master's. And that has progressed in the last seven years. And that kind of experience is priceless. You know what I mean? Once you develop yeah. those relationships at Augusta, once they get to know you, it's, it's a big deal. I have to ask you about Augusta, though. What are your takeaways, Amanda, from the 2020 master's? Man, that was uh, that was a crazy week. And I think what was jarring to me after it was all said and done was how dense the narrative was in terms of storylines. There were so many storylines that were being, I mean, just exhausted at the beginning of the week. And at the end of the week, it was someone that we have barely talked about that you're like, why did we barely talk about him? Um, but, you know, I think that might have paid off for Dustin Johnson as well, right? I mean, you had, you had these storylines like Tiger Woods trying to become the first player to win the Masters in back-to-back -back years multiple times, right? Obviously, Jack has done it. Uh, Nick Faldo did it. But no one's done it multiple times. And if anyone can do it on that golf course, it, it was going to be Tiger Woods. And he gets off to that incredibly hot first round start after everyone's questioning if he can even play because he hasn't played very much. Um, and I, I think that was really fun to watch. And then, of course, you had the overpowering storyline of Bryson DeChambeau. And listen, I, I like Bryson because he's, he's honest. I mean, he is who he is. And I, I, I genuinely mean this when I say I hope that never changes. But I think he has to get comfortable. And I, and I think he is. With the fact that when he says things, like for me, Augusta National is a par 67, people are, people are going to take that and they're going to remind you of it even 10 years down the road because that's just, how, that's just how golf is, right? And not just the media, but the players all read this stuff too. And um, so that was interesting to me was seeing how Bryson was trying to attack this golf course in a way like we've never seen. And it was pretty obvious right off the bat that whatever, you know, whatever he came into this week with, it, it just wasn't quite the right stuff to, to get it done. And then obviously he's, he started to feel sick towards the end of the week. And then you have Roy McElroy, who's trying to complete the career grand slam. Um, and he gets off to that horrible first round, but then all of a sudden plays like the Rory we, we know and love to watch uh, for, the, for the other three rounds. So, um, you know, I think without patrons there, 
Rory did say it on Sunday. He said, yeah, my nerves are not what, or not what they usually are. He told, you know, he told us live that he usually loses 10 to 15 pounds during the masters because of his stress and anxiety and understanding what he is trying to accomplish, which is crazy. When you think about that, that I, I would say that's the most honest insight I've ever been given by a player in terms of nerves on a week like this. You know what I mean? Cause usually yeah. they don't, they don't want you to know, for good reason, they don't really want to talk about it because they have to think about it. So when he said that, I, I, part of me honestly thought, I don't think he would have told us this if this was happening in April with all the patrons there. I, I think because mm. this week felt so different, we got more honest answers. For whatever reason, listen, our setup was exactly the same, but I felt like we got more honest answers out of these guys because of their headspace that they were in because of the changes in the week. Tiger, same thing, records a 10 on 12, his highest, <laughs> his highest number he's ever recorded, period, in any tournament in his career. And I am like, oh, God, I'm going to ask him about this, and this is just going to be a disaster. And, I mean, it, it helps me birdie the last five of six. But, like, he, he, he even could find a way to spin it positively. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's just – there's just these things that happen throughout the week that when I look back on it, my jaw still kind of drops. And I'm like, man, we, we saw, yes. Did we see the golf course in a, in a different way because of the time of year, because of the patrons? Absolutely. But I also think we got to see these players in a different way, which is rare. And it's something we're always looking for. Um, so those are kind of my biggest takeaways. And of course, I mean, the Dustin Johnson interview at the end was, I feel like it's, it's a whole new chapter of that. Um, but those are like my, my general takeaways from the week. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Roy McIlroy and being very upfront about losing 10 to 15 pounds during the Masters week. For you, Amanda Balionis, as you go into an interview, you interview so many of these PGA Tour pros, but what is your goal typically with interviews? My goal is always, I, I'm always thinking of if I'm a fan at home, and I'm talking like a general fan. I think some people, some analysts and the, you know, the bloggers that love to, to do whatever they do on, on, on Twitter, <laughs> I think people forget the majority of people sitting at home are not studying the game of golf as a profession, right? Like I'm talking to my mom and her friends that play golf three times a week. And I know you, they, they love the game, but are they going to understand if we start asking these intricate or do they care? about like intricate, you know, swing planes and, and uh, you know what I mean? Like small tweaks and, <laughs> and how much your shaft weighs or how much your, you know, I just, I think there's, there's a time and a place for that, which I think is happening throughout the course of the broadcast, right? Let's let Dottie Pepper talk about that. You know, a w future hall of famer. Let's let Nick Faldo talk about the X's and O's. Once they get to me, that job is done. My job, in my opinion, is to give the fans at home insight into the psychology of the game, which to me is the most fascinating part of the game, and what makes these guys tick or what's not allowing them to accomplish what they are trying to, to work on. Because what's more relatable than hearing a player say, I've been working on, the, on whatever it is for the last three months, and it's finally coming together. Like, people at home, whether they understand the intricacies of what the player is working on or not, they understand what it's like to grind and go to the range or go get a lesson because all of a sudden your swing went away. Um, they understand losing 10 to 15 pounds because you're under so much stress and it, it's not going to be to complete a career grand slam, right? But there are people at home saying, man, 
I understand that type of, I understand that type of pressure in my life. And now all of a sudden Roy McElroy, what he's saying is more relatable. And I think that is going to stay with them. Dustin Johnson, not being able to put into words what it means. I mean, as a small kid, every single one of his teams said, you know, growing up when Dustin was practicing his putting, every putt was w- to win the masters. And he just did what the kid in him dreamt of doing. Like, again, everybody can understand that in their own way, you know, in some shape or form of accomplishing something that you, you know, only ever dreamt about before. So I I think to me that I want to get to the heart of it as quickly as I can, right? I only have two questions. And if there's something that really stands out, right, like Tiger's 10 on 12 or a specific hole where something really notable happen and we can get some great emotion out of the guy as they talk about it. That's wonderful. Um, but you know, generally to me, I want to get something out of them and it's not going to be a home run every time, but the goal is to get something out of these guys that is really relatable to the fans at home that want to keep them coming back, watching them every weekend. Well, Dustin Johnson, of course, as you mentioned there, the emotional reaction. How do you, as an interviewer, adapt to what happened in real time with Dustin there as his emotions really swelled up there? Yeah, I don't think any of us, none of us were expecting that. So we've never seen that um, from Dustin, but I thought it was truly wonderful. Um, And I think that kind of just comes down to understanding the moment and putting away your knowledge and kind of tuning into your EQ. Um, And that was a moment where I was just like, man, let him have this. Whatever's happening in him, let him work through this. There is nothing that I could say that would be even close to as powerful as what he wasn't saying. And I mean, that's like one of my favorite quotes that I use um, almost daily in my life. If you don't know what to do, do nothing. And I think that's one of the most powerful things in the world because truly think about it, right? You're thinking about a big, you're thinking about buying your first home, right? I, I just went through the process of buying my first home and I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I don't, I'm not finding anything that I love. Like, am I just being too picky? Like, do I just put in a bid on these ones that like seem whatever? And she was like, you're going to know when you know. And it kind of like reminded me when you're not sure, do nothing, right? Like you're never going to regret not putting down that type of money, right? But you are going to regret making a, you know, a move out of desperation. And I felt like in that moment, could I have out of, out of sheer panic, maybe try <laughs> to ask another question to get things back on track? I could have, but did it, it didn't feel right. And so I didn't know what to say. I knew what he was not saying was extremely powerful. So I just did nothing. Um, and that's when you really trust that's when you trust the team behind you and the team in your ear to let you know, you know, cause I could have sat there for an hour probably working through that with him. I love talking about <laughs> the, the gets like to the core of people, you know, like I, I want to be like the golf Oprah at some point. Like I want to talk about these things. Um, we didn't have the time. <laughs> so I, you know, I relied on, you know, our coordinating producer, Lance Barrow. I knew he was going to tell me when it was time to move on, you know, and I trusted that they understood the moment the same way I was understanding the moment. And that really like that type of team chemistry is not something that I think comes easily or comes often. Um, but we were all very aligned, I think, in that moment. And that's, and that's I think, what allowed Dustin to shine the, the way that he did because it, it, it was all about him. It was just about us not messing it up. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, no, that was huge. And of course, being from just down the road, of course, where he grew up, I remember I interviewed him a couple years ago before a master's and he said the proximity, this is that major that is the closest that it gets to where he's from. I mean, yes, Kiowa's coming up at PGA, but that's not the same as the master's. Um, but I do have to ask you too, in your interview style, and I, and I love this about how prepared you are doing your homework, but when you're interviewing someone and they are not giving you a ton of content, like what has been your, I guess, experience has been helpful? Yeah, I, you know, listen, and it happens and they know it. They know when they're not giving me anything. I know when they're not giving me anything. And I, and I tell guys this all the time, not just in golf, but I say it in football, it really in anything I do. My job is to ask you the questions. Your job is to answer as you see fit right? So I don't take anything personally. I mean, until someone tells me, no, this is specifically because I have an issue with you and I don't want to talk to you, then I'll take it personally. But, you know, I, I think these guys do this for a living. They answer a million questions every day. And if by the time, you know, you never know what's going on with them. I mean, no one knows what's going on with us behind the scenes, right? So, I mean, if we just catch them on a bad day or, you know, something else happened with interviews earlier in the week, they're not happy with, whatever it is, they just don't want to answer the question. Um, it, it is what it is. All I can do is ask the question that I think is the most appropriate at that time. And if they don't want to answer it, then they won't answer it. And then are there certain guys where there are certain players I know? Yes. Could I ask that question? Yes. But do I know I'm, it's going to shut down the entire interview and I'm not going to get anything? Yeah. So what's, what's the option here? If you're on CBS and you're trying to reach millions of fans at home, is it my job to have my own ego in play and say, well, I'm going to ask this because that's what I should be asking as a journalist, or am I going to give people an actual, you know, answer from a player? And most of the time I would say I choose the latter of, I want to, I don't want to just put this guy on the defense when I already know what the answer is going to be. And I know he's going to shut it down and be closed off the rest of the time. Why even go there? Right? Like, we know, we know the answer, you know, how does your, how does your back feel? We know what the answer to that's going to be. You know what I mean? So it's like, why waste one of two questions I get with a question that we already know the answer is just so my ego feels good about being tough enough to ask it. Like, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I, I want to be the most prepared. I am as prepared as anybody. I know what I'm talking about and it's not my job to prove myself anymore. It's my job to get the best out of the person I'm interviewing. And that's taken me a lot of years to get to that point. But I think that's when the best moments happen. Mm. Well, speaking of the best moments, you are clearly so comfortable as you interview these players. Um, as you know, subjects play off of our comfortability as interviewers. So how, how have you gotten so comfortable, Amanda? You know, I think honestly, it's just the fact that golf is such an enigma in terms that the same guys I was interviewing when I came out you know, to pjtour.com in 2011 are the same guys I'm interviewing now in 2020. So it, it just really helps for them to be familiar with me. You know what I mean? And, and I think over the course of, you know, a decade, I've never, I, it's not been my MO to have that gotcha moment. Um, if I have to ask something tough or something uncomfortable, um, they know it's necessary and, and I'm going to give them a heads up before I do it. Cause that's not, again, I don't see the purpose in trying to make someone, you know, catch them off guard on live television. You're never going to get what you, 
I think what you want from that and all, and then you've burned a bridge for the rest of your career. Because again, these guys aren't going anywhere, right? If you yeah. made Phil Mickelson mad 20 years ago, you're out of luck, buddy. Cause he remembers that and he's still out here and he's still making waves. You know what I mean? So it's, I, I think that's, that was advice I was given pretty early on in my career in terms of golf related relationships. It's these guys aren't going anywhere. So choose wisely when to, you know, picket things that are, are sensitive and, and you still got to do your job, but make sure you're not just doing it to, to do it. Um, and I, I think, I think players remember that. So, you know, I think that is where that comfortability comes from. Um, and just the, you know, I like talking to people. I, I, I talk to the players the same way I'll talk to a random person who has a dog on the street that I'm very interested in getting to know that dog's name and, and what their story is, you know? So I, I think being yourself plays a huge part in it too. Cause I, I think if you are one person off camera, then the red light goes on and you're talking to them, like you're someone completely different. I think it throws everybody for a loop. So um, I think that's a really important piece of advice I was given too. When I was in New York for anyone out there, who's like kind of getting their start be yourself from the beginning because that way even if you aren't finding the success that you want at least you know you're doing it in your most authentic way rather than wondering what if i were just myself would this have been more successful um and then when you are when you do find success you don't have to change anything you you just be you and you know that's what got you there so um i think just being as authentic as possible is something people can feel and see and appreciate definitely authenticity is huge. As we wrap up in these last couple minutes, um, I do want to ask you about Tiger Woods and you've interviewed him so many times, 2018, a memorable interview at Bell Reeve at the PGA. Mm -hmm. Remember 2019, right before that final round, that Saturday night, when you asked him, what time are you going to get up? There were some awesome moments in golf history that you've documented in your interviews with Tiger. What stands out to you? Yeah, that, um, that Saturday night interview before he went on to win in 2019 was pretty cool. And I think it was so cool because his demeanor, like he walked out of the room after the interview and I was like, he might win this by 20 tomorrow. <laughs> like I remember thinking like, whoa, this is a whole, this is a different mentality from what we've seen from him from, you know, the rest of the year. And you do get those vibes from guys um, when you talk to them the night before. There are some guys that you're like, okay, he seems a little nervous and, and we'll, we'll be interested to see how that goes tomorrow. Like, Patrick Reed, when we interviewed him, when he won the year before, um, he was so calm, cool, and collected. And it was like, is he going to be able to do – but we saw him be that way. You know, it was interesting. I think it was Nick Faldo um, related that experience of President's Cup and Ryder Cup, of those big moments, to being under pressure in a major championship, um, which I thought was – I was like that. I'd love to see like some numbers if we could crunch some numbers on who has done really. I mean, obviously you think of like an Ian Poulter who hasn't found that type of success yet in majors, but like how many guys are really good who learn to control their nerves and team play and then are able to get it done in majors. And, and Patrick Reed was one of them, but Tiger just had this demeanor about him where I was like, okay, yeah, he's, he is so ready for this moment. And, you know, obviously then we saw it down that final stretch of him making the right course management decisions and all of that stuff. But that, that interview was pretty cool because before that, everyone was still questioning if he was ever going to be able to win a major again, period. Um, 
a lot of Jack Nicholas vibes, right? A lot of 86 mm. Jack Nicholas vibes and a lot of parallels from the way people were treating Jack then to how they were treating Tiger, um, you know, in 2019. So it was, it was very cool um, to, be a, to be able to talk to him in that moment, sense his demeanor, hear his words, and see him smile and tell us that he was going to get up at 3.45 in the morning or whatever he said. <laughs> because, and that was another interesting insight. I think that was, you know, a kind of like a Roy McElroy moment where you realize, man, your body is hurting that much that you have to do that much work to get yourself ready to go play 18 holes of golf. You know, and, and again, yeah. how relatable is that to a lot of people at home who have had back surgeries, who struggle with back pain or whatever their ailment is. It's like, you, if you love this game enough, you're going to get to where you need to go an hour or two hours early to make sure your body's ready to go. And, you know, Tiger was just doing that on, on the biggest stage possible. So, um, yeah, a lot of that was like probably my happiest memorable moment. Um, probably the most surreal memorable moment with Tiger though, was earlier this year with the Kobe Bryant interview after Kobe passed away. Um, which is, that was one that you, you just hope that you never have to do it again because it was just, I mean, still a year later, we are, it's almost a year later. It is, um, it's still pretty heartbreaking when you think about what happened and, and the way it happened and, you know, just, nothing's guaranteed. So it was, it was a hard thing to talk to him about, but I also think it was an important thing to talk to him about because there are few athletes in our world who can relate to the level of fame and to be an icon the way Kobe Bryant was besides Tiger Woods. And I thought that was a really interesting point that someone brought to me and said, because, you know, as we were talking about before and you're just like, when we realized he didn't know that Kobe had died and then he had only a few minutes to process that before he agreed to talk to us about it. And he knew that's what our interview was going to be about. And he agreed to do it. But grief is like a really, it's a hard, it's a hard real thing. Um, and so I just, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with it. And someone said to me, you know, people at home are devastated over this loss. There are fans that are just, I mean, cry, like beside themselves, they looked up to Kobe Bryant their, their whole lives. And Tiger can be a source of comfort in this, in this moment for so many, because they just want to hear from someone who knew him and looked up to him the same way they did. And I was like, man, that is, you know, that's just a reminder. That was a reminder. Again, I was kind of in my own head about it. I was thinking about me and how uncomfortable it was for me, not thinking about how, this fits into the into the bigger picture um, of what really sports can do and that sports can comfort sports can distract from the real world sports can do a lot of things for us um, especially in a year like 2020 so that was um that was probably the most memorable but also the most jarring and uh one that you look back at and you're like man that i just that was hard and we hope we never have to do that again Definitely. Well, it's been great visiting with you. Just a last wrap up, uh, quick, quick fire question. I want to ask you, what's the go-to music you listen to in your, uh, your iPhone? Oh, it is a mix between pop country and hip hop. (laughs) (laughs) Probably weird, but here we are. (laughs) What about all time uh, favorite Netflix or or, um, Amazon prime show you listen to or watch? Oh, that's a good one. Cause I have been, I mean, binging like a crazy person. Um, let's see, all time favorite where I was like sad it was over. 
I feel like I have a lot of these and they are, and all of them are escaping me. Give me some popular ones. Well, you got Outlander from Netflix. You've got, let's see, no. what else? Game of Thrones. Um, no, nope, nope, wasn't else? into that. What, Billions? Is that one? Billions? You've got... Billions I like, but I wasn't like super addicted to it. Oh, you know, you know what show I loved? And I, I thought about the other day how sad I was that I watched the whole thing already. Jane the Virgin. Have you seen Jane the Virgin? <laughs> I've seen some it of it, is, yeah. It is tremendous. Anyone out there who has not seen that show, go. there's a hundred episodes, literally. So you can stream your life away with that one. But Jane the Virgin was one that I was so emotionally invested in, I can't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Great catching up with you, Amanda. And thanks for joining me here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Amanda Balliona is on the podcast. Really enjoyed that. What do you guys think? I thought she was very kind of a look behind the curtain on terms of what she's thinking as she prepares for interviews. Very, very seasoned veteran. I know she's not Bonnie Bernstein, but she sure has been at this for a while, and you can tell she's comfortable with the players. She's built that trust, but she's comfortable with her delivery in those interviews Awesome stuff with Amanda Balionis. You can follow her on Twitter at Balionis. Excuse me, on Instagram at Balionis, on Twitter at Amanda underscore Balionis. And also check out the new Instagram page I've got for Beyond the Clubhouse. It's at Beyond the Clubhouse Podcast. And of course, I'm on Instagram as well at Garrett Johnson Golf. So many great topics as we look ahead. Uh, to the rest of the year here but hope you guys enjoyed it again thanks for joining me here on beyond the clubhouse and we'll catch up again soon